0: Hello and welcome to Cannon and Cockrell. My name is Michael and I'm a Spurs fan. And I'm Jason and I'm an Arsenal fan. And uh, it's been a while since we, we last did one of these. This is in fact our first podcast of the season proper. Uh, a few days away from the first North London derby of the season. I'll be honest, I was basically holding off on this until Arsenal finally lost the game before we could record one. Yeah. And then uh, World Events... Uh, kind of took over but now seems like a good time to to take stock of where we are and look ahead to the North London derby which I think will be certainly the first time in our lifetimes Jason where whoever wins will go top I'm not sure when the last time that was the case for North London derby and could we potentially be looking at a North London title race Jason or is it too early for that that kind of talk
1: well yeah just to, to to welcome you back and welcome everyone else back, it's very exciting um, to be back, and uh, yeah, since the last time we did podcast, there was uh, different managers in charge, um, a different monarch, a different prime minister, um, and since then, uh, some more no-strategy wins from Spurs, so all in all, um, nothing different with the football side, but very different across the world, but yeah, it's... um, But a good start to the season, especially from an Arsenal perspective. I mean, I don't really see Spurs as being up there. But mathematically, I can't deny the fact that if they beat us at the Emirates on Saturday, they're going ahead of us. But um, I suppose I just have to sing, we are top of the league, so we are top of the league. And I've been singing that for a long time recently. And that is very rare. It's very rare for us um, down at the Emirates. But, you know, I'm speaking to a lot of people who are into their football, but, you know, might not support Premier League clubs. Or kind of lower league, um, lower in the table clubs like Spurs um, in general. And a lot of people are saying, oh, Arsenal playing well. Oh, you look good. And I'm like, well, you can't be surprised. We weren't surprised, the Arsenal fans, because that's what we've been banging on about. That's why we were still excited after all or nothing in fifth place. Because we knew this team was going somewhere. We had a vision. We had a strategy. We had a, we had a pathway. And you could see it's paying dividends because, what? Now you've got the right pieces of the puzzle. When Zinchenko's playing, you have that left back. When Saliba's playing, you have that dominant centre-back. When um, Jesus is up there, um, you can really see the golfing class between him and Lacazette and Aubameyang from last year. And, um, you know, Eddie Enchetti has built upon his his strength and, and his uh, good end of the season. So, yeah, it's, it's really exciting. I think in terms of title race, I'll be... I'll give a little bit of humility at the beginning of the season and say, no. I mean, I can't see it being Arsenal-Spurs. We'll be up there because we've got the quality. um, Both quality managers, some quality players. They've spent well. They're playing well. They've got a system. Um, But ultimately, I don't think you can look past Man City, who look like with Haaland, they could win all all four trophies, really. Really, they, they have the capability. But it's interesting how... You know, we always say every year, oh, maybe that club, maybe that club. And, you know, Liverpool and Chelsea probably aren't the same as they were. And United certainly haven't, um, you know, they're all right. They've kind of come back, but they aren't really the club they once were, or what we thought they could become. So there is a gap this year, especially for top four. I mean, I think if Arsenal and Tottenham didn't finish third and fourth, uh, someone's getting sacked at the end of the season. 'Cause that is now the target. So it's it's very exciting. I think I think pretty much all the transfers are done last time we spoke before the beginning of the season. But I think, yeah, apart from that United game, and even then we played well, like I haven't really got much to complain about. I think I'm very frustrated at the lack of centre mid signing because winger wise I feel like you can chop and change some of our midfielders maybe and and kind of, you know, Marquinhos looks like a good signing, Reese Nelson might be able to do something and put Jesus on the wing. But Thomas Partey's injured again. And it's getting a little worried now. The guy's 29. We need to start planning afterwards. Shaka shouldn't even be there, but he's been playing well. So we need to start thinking about the future of this midfield. And I don't think we can rely on Sammy Lakonga. Tielemans would have been perfect. Obviously, something the club has seen has made them not want to take that risk. Uh, maybe they will in January with the World Cup coming up. But it's... Um, yeah. That's my only frustration. But other than that, saliva, <laughs> and all of that jazz. So it's been a really good start. I'm very excited. Um, Semi nervous for the weekend, but I think we're going to get a result, um, if not win that game. And I feel very confident about that. But next time I'll probably be hiding, tail between my legs, saying, What on earth was I talking about? But I just have to flip, flip it to you because Spurs somehow managed to, to get fourth last year. Um, you know Arsenal as you say bottled it I think that's now in hindsight it's the only way I can see it based on all or nothing as well um, in terms of signings a good a good summer window maybe some more purchases for players you didn't really need in positions you didn't need um, not even playing half of them half the time or starting them but a couple of them doing alright Harry Kane and Son Kind of uh, the only thing that gets Spurs going still, and uh, I suppose, listen, you're unbeaten, <laughs> you're the Invincibles, so I'll, I'll leave it to you because
0: really, the gold trophy is in your hands. Well, exactly, yeah, one, one hand already on that golden Premier League trophy. Um, just going back to something you said earlier about basically saying how how Spurs and Arsenal should both be finishing in the top four this season based on what we've seen so far. I seem to remember when we did our last episode, our pre-season predictions, I predicted Spurs and Arsenal to finish in the top four. Mm. You had Arsenal in the top four, but Spurs finishing, I think, sixth or seventh. So I think it's interesting now you've... uh... Re- change that. Now you're saying that Spurs should be finishing in the top four, or, or Conte oh, should be sacked.
1: On, based on um, uh, uh, so we
0: must have made a pretty good start then for you to to change your kind of expectations uh, in that Chelsea way. Chelsea
1: and Liverpool haven't had a good start, but so by default someone's got to finish there.
0: It could be I
1: could have said I said Spurs. I could have said uh, Nottingham Forest.
0: <laughs> okay, um, and I guess to as well you saying Kane and Son the only thing that gets Spurs going. I think what's been notable actually about our start our start is particularly with heung Son, is how that hasn't been the case. I mean, it wasn't until the last game before the international break that Heung-min Son got a goal. And then it was like London buses, they all came at once, kind of three goals off the bench in 13 minutes. But before that point, going into, what was it, the sixth, seventh game of the season, heung Son hadn't scored. And yet we were unbeaten uh, and scoring goals. So I think actually that shows that the reliance on Kane and Son, in part because of new signings like Richardson and Kudusevsky going back to January, uh, isn't as great as perhaps it was in previous seasons. I mean, you look at the opening day when we beat Southampton 4-1, neither Kane nor Son was on the score sheet. And you're seeing now goals coming from all over the team. People, you know, Eric Dyer's popped up with a couple of goals so far this season. Hojberg scored a couple of goals. Sessignon scored. Uh, scored. Richardson and Kuliseski, as I've said, you've had Perisic coming up with assists. So actually you're seeing goals now coming from all over the team. And I think that's one of the reasons why we have had this unbeaten start is because... You know, it's, of course, when you've got strikers like Kane and Son, they're going to score a lot of goals. But actually, this star, even though Harry Kane's had a much better start than usually does. I mean, back in the day, he would never score in August, not so much anymore. But it, it has been a a team effort. And um, kind of similar to what you've said, it's it's kind of no complaints. I feel like both of us, um, probably two of the happier fan bases aside from Man City in the league, because we both had such good starts. Obviously, as you said, we are unbeaten, unlike unlike Arsenal um and I'd be quite annoyed I think if I was an Arsenal fan considering how many games you've won that there's only a one point difference between between the two of us particularly when you look at the the fixtures I know Arsenal fans have gone to great lengths to try and convince people that they haven't had a an easy ride of fixtures and that actually everyone else's fixtures have been tougher but I think certainly when I looked at the fixtures ahead of the season I thought we would be much further behind than one point going into this North London derby when I saw we were going away to Chelsea and away to West Ham, which I know are games we didn't win, but are games we usually always lose, and we came away with something. And even some of the home games that we've had this season, where we lost the corresponding fixture last season, but have won it this season. So I've been quite pleasantly surprised that we've come through this opening run of games kind of relatively unscathed, at least unbeaten, one of the only unbeaten teams in the league, and so close to Arsenal when you've had such a relatively kind run of fixtures and, and won as many games as you have. So... Kind of similar to you, feeling quite, quite happy, quite content. I think I read somewhere it's our joint best start um, to a season with the 2016-17 season, which is when we finished uh, second on 86 points behind Antonio Conte's title-winning Chelsea. I don't know if we're going to finish that high or, or be in a title race. I think, as you said, it, it's hard to look beyond Manchester City, but certainly, given as well what you said with with um, Chelsea in, in having another transition season, although. Oftentimes, Chelsea's transition seasons are their most successful. Um, United as well, looking a little bit better than we thought they might be in those first couple of weeks, but still in, in a state of transition as well. Eric like Ten Hagen's first season. Liverpool looking like maybe they're having a dip. So certainly top four, you'd think, I'd agree, is, is kind of the minimum expectation, certainly given that we finished in the top four last season. And we've, I think we look like we've improved on last season, so you should expect at the very least fourth, if not higher. But obviously, as we know, the, the, the stick that, People used to beat us with his trophies. And obviously that's gonna be the big the big aim as well. I don't think it's just enough for Spurs to finish in the top four again this season. We did that last year. We have to, you know, ideally try and finish higher if we can, third or second, like you said, and as well try and try and win something. But certainly it looks like Conte's brought um a bit of a different mentality to the side, maybe the kind of edge that we thought Mourinho was gonna bring. But that will be tested, I guess, this weekend, because the Emirates is a ground which we have an abysmal record at. Harry Redknapp's the only Spurs manager to win there in the league. Poch only won there once in the Carabao Cup. Um, Coming off the back of an international break where we've had a lot of players out, Arsenal seemed like they strategically had a lot of players maybe uh, pulled out of international duty. Obviously, I know you've had some injuries as well, but that kind of early kickoff post-international break is such a tough one away at the Emirates. I think it's going to be a real big test of how far potentially Spurs have come. Um, and I fear it will probably be it's hard for me to see beyond the same old story at the Emirates because as I said I've only seen us win there once in the league and that was in I think 2010 Uh, so I'm not looking forward to this weekend but I think it's potentially a big moment for Spurs and Conte to prove how far they've come but I imagine from your end it's going to be a big chance to get revenge for the end of last season
1: Absolutely there's a lot of pressure on it because for Arsenal we do not want you winning and getting top of the league on our turf and then The other side as well, Spurs don't want to see all the Arsenal fans gloating and showing that progress. So, inevitably, it'll probably be a nil-nil draw. And uh, I'm being honest, I'd probably take that right now. Me too. They did. And, uh, I mean, just I think that psychologically keeping top of the league is important. But I think it's not going to last, let's be honest. Um, I don't think Spurs are in the position they would say that either. I think I I almost see the league as a 19-team league. At the moment, I think it's just about being the best of the rest, and then see where you end up. I, I think as a game, it's just it, it's interesting because when we both play our best, it's amazing. The problem is, I think actually, a lot of the time I've seen us play, or last season especially, the game at the Emirates, I thought we were really good and you were really bad, and then the other way, um in that collapse at the end of the season, it'd be nice. It would kind of be nice to see us both you know from a spectacle point of view both that you're kind of this is all we've got this is the real winner takes all but but derbies seem to throw form out of the window it's all about the atmosphere and about you know the managerial mind games and and, and trying to do different things I hope um, I've heard this phrase a lot galaxy brain which is kind of where you just do things that just make no sense to kind of try and be too clever for your own good it's kind of like sounds like Nicola
0: Teta all over
1: well, that's it. They use that with him a lot. So it's like you put Saliba up front suddenly and you put Gabriel Jesus in goal. It's like, yeah, very nice, but probably not. Um, although I'd argue like a, a Galaxy Brain moment of per Saka up front, you know, in the last few minutes of a game, that's actually quite clever. Get the, get the header in. But It's yeah. interesting
0: what you're saying about um, the, the fixtures last season and, and the difference between home and away because it does mm. seem like the North London derby, perhaps more so than any other derby or any other fixture, seems... always heavily skewed in favor of the home team like I think the last time Arsenal won at White Hart Lane was 2014 maybe when Tim Sherwood was manager and as I said we only won at the Emirates under Redknapp so it does always seem like the North London derby always goes to the home team which obviously doesn't make me optimistic for the weekend but I wonder whether that says something about either the atmospheres that that we create or maybe more about the mentality of our, our teams over the years.
1: Yeah, I feel like they do panic a bit. You can you can kind of see it from the first moment. Kind of the way they control the ball and the way they set the tempo, uh, usually usually says a lot. You could see it, you could see it how hungry Spurs were at the end of the season. They went for it. They were running at us and you know, holding us making those silly mistakes and errors, and we were trying to trip you up early, and that that sets the tone. So I think the first five to ten minutes are actually quite vital in setting the tone. Um I haven't watched a lot of Spurs this year. I seem to watch them on Match of the Day and see goals, goals, goals. But I suppose I'm not sure really how they are now controlling the game. Is it, I mean, I, I've always seen Spurs recently as more a, a counter-attacking team. Where actually they're probably quite happy for the other team to take the lead, but they'll they'll nip it off you and then 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 you'll rue the day you did that because someone will play a long ball, the winger will cut in and score, or or cross it to Kane. I mean, is that is that still the kind of um, uh, the t- tone of play I should expect from Spurs this
0: um, yeah I think you should but I think it's I think that's simultaneously very accurate and fair kind of um view of how we played, but also I think there's a bit more to it than that at the same time I certainly think and there's been times this season where I and other fans I know have been frustrated by the extent to which we've been happy for the other side to have the ball but and, and i completely uh, expect as well given the trouble that United caused you on the break that Conte will probably be looking at that and thinking do you know what we know Arsenal they're the home team the pressures of being the home team they they like to have a lot of the ball we know the strength that we've got on the counter-attack and you might think that that's the best way to kind of to go about this game Um, but I do think it's more just because it's not necessarily always very possession-based I think people look at that and think that therefore it's inherently a sort of defensive strategy but there's a reason why and i don't know whether this is still the case but certainly it was uh, a few weeks back that we'd scored the most goals out of any team in the league in 2022 i'm guessing after the leicester game with six it probably is still the case you know more than city more than liverpool you don't score that many goals if you're a defensive team and if it's purely just nothing but counterattacking and i think people underestimate the extent to which um, spurs build out from the back and when we do have the ball are almost trying to lure teams onto us trying to make teams press us high even if they're not a team that usually plays a high press to manufacture and create that space and i mean ultimately all, all teams try and create space in different ways some teams do it by having a lot of the ball and trying to stretch teams and you know pass the way through them. And others do it by maybe having less of the ball, or when they do have the ball, having it more in their own half and then springing very quickly on the, on the counter-attack. It's almost like a sort of elastic band, I find, watching Tottenham these days, where they go very quickly from having five at the back to all of a sudden five up front, with those kind of two wing-backs pushing up, and then you kind of two attacking midfielders behind Kane. And in kind of the blink of an eye, they've gone very quickly from defence to attack. But it's all been very carefully choreographed. And when it doesn't work is when teams are very good at stopping those kind of transitions. And that's why we struggled against Chelsea. They knew kind of it's obviously easier said than done. And you need the players who are good enough to do it. But everyone knows now that move where Harry Kane drops deep and looks to kind of sweep that pass in round behind. And if you have defenders and midfielders like or like Kante, for example, at Chelsea, who are good enough to just stop that at source. And it means the ball's kind of never getting out. And then the ball can kind of just keep coming back at us. And I guess that's one of the things I'm worried about and can see happening at the Emirates, particularly when we play two in midfield with um, Hojbjerg and Bensinkor, because it's very easy and a lot of teams have done it to put three in midfield and outnumber us in midfield. And it's very tricky for us to then get out and actually going into this game, a lot of fans want Conte to start Basuma alongside Hojbjerg and Bensinkor to just kind of shore up that midfield a bit, because I think that's part of the reason as well why we don't have a lot of the ball and end up playing this counterattacking way is because the 3-4-3, it puts a lot on kind of wing back and defence and up front, but the midfield space is often quite sort of wide open. And if you have teams who have a lot of good midfielders who can exploit that, you're under pressure. Now, obviously, we've come away undefeated. And as I said, scoring a lot of goals, so clearly it's working. But I certainly do think, yeah, we will be playing quite a, uh, we will be happy to let you have a lot of the ball. Um, and I think that will make quite uncomfortable viewing. Uh, for me. And I think if it works, you'll probably come away thinking you were the better team because you had a lot of the ball. But when you look at the XG, you'll realise you didn't actually create that much. Um, if it doesn't work, you will be able to, unlike other teams who played, capitalise on that dominance and that possession, get those early goals, stop us from being able to counter-attack or, and, and come out and do what we want to do. And then potentially it's a very long afternoon. Um, or as you say, it could be a dull nil-nil draw, which I would also take right now. Uh, and I guess to kind of ask the same question of you, I get the impression that Arteta and Arsenal, from what I've seen, you know, want to have a lot of the ball, um, and will be looking to to dominate possession and kind of pass from side to side. And I almost wonder whether the, and I, you know, it's hard to say, is because you've been obviously winning a lot of games, but do you worry that maybe the the problem with Arsenal, the same way I worry about. How our kind of lack of possession could backfire. Do you worry that you could potentially kind of fall into our traps, get lulled into a false sense of belief, leave yourselves open at the back like you did against United? And maybe, what's the phrase, let the perfect be the enemy of the good. Do you feel like Arsenal are almost reverting back to that old stereotype of trying to pass it in and score the perfect goal Mm -hmm. rather than just getting the goals and kind of, you know, getting the job done? That's an interesting
1: one because we always used to get criticism about that, that, you know, Arsenal with Wenger would used to show up. This is how we play and you'd show up and show up and show up and you wouldn't adapt. Whereas someone like Jose Mourinho just knew or or Ferguson, they knew. I'm going to change my formation for this game with these players because I know they can do the job in this moment. Now, I think with Arteta, we've seen a bit of both. We've seen him be naive in the sense and just say, I think my team can do what they've been doing, and it's spectacularly backfired. But then I also think what we saw in that Spurs game towards the end of the season was us just... I, I think the intention was to be a bit more defensive-minded and conservative, and and that backfired as well. And then we did see in that United game, when he put on, during the game, when he put on three subs and it just ruined the whole structure of the team, and 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 then they went and scored. So I suppose, like everything, it's not a fun answer, but ultimately, it's 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 all about balance. I think he will think we're at home, we're on great form, we sh- we're top of the league, we should be on the front foot, we we should be taking the game to you. We- we- it shouldn't be waiting for for Spurs to do something until it we spark into life. But sometimes you need that an atmosphere to spark into life by someone scoring. So in a way spurs scoring first wouldn't be a disaster because i think that would actually spark some real fight in the team Mm. Uh, um i obviously hope it doesn't happen but i think you can see it in that way as well i um yeah
0: i would say the 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 thing you could probably do to trouble us the most is we struggle when and obviously you're not going to do this because like you said you're the home team and it's not the way you play but we struggle when teams sit deep and we don't have the space to break into. And I think it's times like that when we think, oh, you know, we, we, we should have got Ericsson or, or Madison where we miss that kind of player who can kind of pick a lock. And I think, you know, Kulisewski can and is sometimes that type of player, but there's rumours he might be out injured. And so if you have kind of a Charleston, Kane, Son, you're probably thinking, hmm, that's a, t- a front three, which is maybe better place to, for a more counterattacking style. But if you were to sit deep and not give us that space and almost kind of counter on us and try and draw us out, that's probably the most effective way of kind of countering the way we play. But obviously it's not it's not what you do. And on the flip side, it might seem like, oh, you coming onto us would, would suit us. But if we can't hold onto the ball, then it might just be kind of one of those things where it's only a matter of time to you score. So I guess it will be interesting to see kind of, I can't see either of the managers compromising the way they set the team up and how they want to play. So I guess it will just be a case of Rather than either team adapting to the other, just who on the day is able to execute their plan A the best?
1: Yeah, and I think it will depend a lot on on you know how everyone's come back from the international break as well. And as you say, you know about those goal scorers and you having it across the team. I was I was just wondering whether, and it might be different because usually you would have your answer would have been Son slash Kane, but actually, as a Spurs fan, what what's your biggest worry right now in terms of you know, something happens to someone or something happens in general? What's your biggest fear, essentially? Because I think that's where, you know, Arsenal
0: could capitalise on. Well, I'm quite worried about the goalkeeper situation going into the weekend because Larice actually didn't go to the internationals, I think, because of an injury. And there's been no word on kind of what his injury status is. Now, I know Fraser Forster had a, a blinder against Arsenal last season, but that was at St. Mary's and in a very different, type of game it's I think it's very different when you're the Southampton goalkeeper having a great game against Arsenal at home versus going to the Emirates as Tottenham's goalkeeper when it's your making your debut um so I would be very worried about that if it was Forster instead of uh Lloris and I think Kuzeski is a huge miss be- for for the reasons I said before because I think he has a certain Ericsson-esque vision that sometimes other players in that area can lack um but otherwise in general I mean, I don't know if there's any other injuries I don't know about yet, but I feel OK about everyone else. I guess the the main areas where we'd worry, you know, we have more strength and depth up front now because of players like Richardson. But defensively, I'd still worry about as if if Romero was injured um, and you've got Davison Sanchez there who sometimes can be brilliant and other times can just be a disaster. Like if you look at the opening of the Leicester game, the penalty he gave away was all over the place. Um Longley and Ben Davies, I'm not sure he will play in the kind of left centre-back position, but I know Davies has had an injury. Longley is kind of still adjusting to, to the league. So I think the, the those kind of centre-back positions and actually, wing, I, you know, obviously the wing-back is very important. And I think wing-back is still somewhere where we're kind of figuring out who's first choice and who's best for for each game. And it's, you know, does he go with Sessonjana Perisic? Does he go with Emerson Royale? Well, probably, because Emerson Royale, I think, apart from Larice and Kane, is the only player to have started every game. Or does, now Doherty's played a few games in his national break. Does he, does he put him in? I don't see him putting Spence in. But I think, yeah, defensively, those kind of positions is where I would, when I see the team sheet, if it's fostering goal and potentially... Sanchez at right centre back and, and, and Royale and I don't know I might look at there and think hmm you know that's where Arsenal could could punish us I guess same question back to you talking about in the midfield earlier and the injuries you've had there it seems like Arsenal are going to have a lot of players back fit for this game um, but I don't know are there any are, are there some absences that that you're worried about it's
1: interesting you said about the fullbacks actually because um, I presume Lord Perisic best left back in the world is going to be playing
0: he's going to score the winner
1: yeah, I'm sure just shut me up. Um I would have loved Zinchenko to to play to be honest. I think Tiny is very good still. I don't think it's a, it's a it's a big thing, but um I think he just adds a lot more to our game. Um and that winning mentality. I think for me actually Saliba is very good and I I but actually defensively I don't think we look that different necessarily. I think well he he looks amazing, but I'm not sure as a unit it's it's improved that much. I think Actually, if Jesus went down or lost form, I'd be very worried. And that was why I never thought the one striker was enough. And Eddie Nketiah, he looks very good. But you're kind of relying on him to gather form rather than thinking this guy is, you know, this second could do what Jesus does. And it's very rare to have two good strikers. But for me, I worry that, you know, Saka's not banging them in. Um, Smith-Rowe's now out for a long time. Odegaard had a bit of a hot patch. Vieira looks okay. Martinelli as well. But it's not it's not prolific. And I do think that push comes to shove. You probably know that Son or Kane are going to get a decent amount of goals over the season. It's
0: Charleston in. as well now.
1: Well, uh, yeah, I guess. Three good strikers. Yeah, yeah. But, yeah, I worry that if we, we kind of put all our eggs in one basket with someone who actually... I know he scored a few, but he's not a natural goal scorer. He's not a... a Prolific goal scorer, so I still worry about that. And in a game like Saturday, when you think about through history, it's all been about Harry Kane, it's all been about Thierry Henry, Adi Bayor, Robbie Keane, Berbatov. It's it's that's what it's about for me, and I worry that we don't quite have that sort of talisman still over a consistent period of time. That you just know. It, it, you, I, I kind of want to know. We're going into that game, and you know they're turning up. You know they're turning up. You know Harry Kane's turning up every derby. He might not score, but he probably will. Um, and I don't quite fear that. So that's my biggest fear. I don't think that fear is going to be appeased um, this season, unless, sadly, there's a bad injury problem. I think it kind of leads me into the World Cup, because we did talk about it that it's not far away. And, you know, when if that's not far away, it means the January transfer window is not far away. And I wonder whether they're, again, that's why some clubs didn't do exactly what they wanted to do to completion because they might think, you know what, I've got enough of a squad that will last me half a season, but actually if it's not long, I can hold off and maybe maybe we'll be able to strengthen the squad at that time. But again, I'm, I'm jumping around here, but it made me think that, I think we spoke about it, that it's good kind of in a way the derby is now and that the derby, the other side of the season, um, is actually quite early because it doesn't become the dominating factor. And I think we, you made a very good point that Arsenal probably would have finished top four if we hadn't have rearranged that game this last season because it was all about the momentum. We wouldn't have had that. We, might, I mean, you can't say never say never, but, you know, the trauma from that game really lingered into the next game. Whereas actually, if we'd been playing, I don't know, whoever we were supposed to be playing at the time, I think it could have been the West Ham game, then, then we then we then we might have been all right. So
0: that's the Galaxy Brain thing. That was sure. you know, getting that game postponed might have seemed clever at the time. And I don't dispute that obviously you had absences, but you could have put a team out and got that game out of the way. And in trying to move it to a time when you thought you'd be better off, you ended up making the game far bigger, as you said, than it ever needed to be. And then losing in the manner that you did, I think it absolutely was a was a. T- and obviously like you said, you can you can never know for sure. But it, when you look back at it, it definitely does feel like a, a turning point in one of those instances where maybe being, you know, kind of too clever for your own good. Um, on the World Cup, it's interesting you said that about maybe uh, clubs holding out on transfers. Cause I was reading something on The Athletic this morning where they wondered whether a similar dynamic is at play with manager sackings that the World Cup period might be a better, you know, because they usually say, oh, the first international break of the season is usually when you see a lot of managerial changes and people thought we might see Brendan Rodgers or Steve Cooper or somebody sacked over this break, but it hasn't happened. And they've said, actually, you look at that World Cup period, it's almost like a mini pre-season for a manager coming in to get to know the club, to get to know the players who haven't gone to the World Cup. I mean, there'll be loads of players who won't be at the World Cup for whom it will basically be like, you know, a mid-season break. And they said, actually that would be a perfect time to make manager changes if they wanted to. Um, also, going back to Jesus, I definitely think him and Richarlison, one or both of them will be part of a big incident in that derby, either by scoring a goal or getting sent off or something just because of all the rumours over the summer about those two players and Spurs and Arsenal and the kind of the rivalry that the, our fans seem to have made between the two of them. I am absolutely certain that at least one if not both of them is either getting on the score sheet or getting sent off or something because (laughs) the the narrative just dictates it because of what happened or didn't happen over the summer yeah
1: yeah and i i think i mean you you're probably going to argue you're happier with your your signing that we're happy with ours but i think we still made the right move i know he's a richardison seems to have been a reborn favorite and you know um it's um he did get a lot of abuse for his uh for his juggling but um I still think he's not the main man at Spurs there's no way he's going to start over Kane almost ever especially in the Premier League I'd be surprised unless it's a very uh easy on paper which I guess no no games are game whereas I think personally I think you can see the transformation of the game through Jesus for Arsenal rather if you compare it to to Spurs and Richardson. but maybe I'm just uh I've got my rose-tinted spectacles on, which is uh, a usual occurrence, I think, for, for me and watching Arsenal recently.
0: I feel like if we're being fair, we'd probably say that each club got the player they needed. That yeah. you maybe needed more, you know, what you needed versus what we needed. We each got the right player to to fulfil that role. And that if it had been the other way around, maybe it wouldn't have been the right fit that we each got kind of what we were after from those players.
1: Although you say that, I would have argued Spurs need a Premier League winner. If you think we'd be on the technical, you think be in, in terms of the character, instead you've got another maverick who could end up turning on the manager when inevitably it goes south.
0: Well, we've got a World Cup winner in Lloris and it wouldn't surprise me if come January we had another World Cup winner in Richarlison because unlike unlike your guy, he actually starts with Brazil and is, is scoring goals for fun. So, and actually, that that is... a Another thing with this World Cup, isn't it, is is how it affects the players coming back because you can have a World Cup hangover, obviously from not doing well at the World Cup, but you can also have a hangover from having done well at the World Cup. I mean, we're away at Brentford, I think, six days after the World Cup final. And I mean, who knows any of our, you know, Richarlison, Romero, maybe even Lloris, I mean, maybe Kane looking unlikely at the moment, but you never mm-hmm. know. Um, you know, any of those players could have been involved in that match and whether it's the massive high or the massive low. That's then going to take some time to to get over, and it kind of it'd be very interesting. I, I, I saw a story as well about how supposedly all the Argentinian players want to like sit out the last league game before the World Cup, and it's like those, those the closer we get to it, and then those first few games after it as well are going to be very interesting for those clubs that do have a lot of internationals because no one's going to want to get injured before. And then afterwards, they were going to be carrying, you know, various different kind of you know issues coming back into the season. So it's a huge kind of spanner in the works, which if there's any hope, I guess, of it not being just a procession for City, it maybe comes in the form of that World Cup disrupting the season so much that maybe it allows for kind of other alternatives to emerge. I don't know.
1: Although I, I'm not sure when you start to think through City, and their team and their internationals. I mean, Harland as well. I guess yeah, he's got a rest, has not he? Got a rest. mares isn't in it. Jack they are barely getting in the England squad and playing. True. You know the the what's to say? Calvin Phillips won't be there. But um, Rodri, don't even know what country he's from. Is he Spanish? <laughs> don't know. <laughs> uh, Diaz, I guess the Portuguese contingent. Don't even know if Edison or Allison's number one. I don't. I don't know.
0: Yeah, I mean they've got a big enough squad, haven't they? They they should be able to cope with it. Exactly.
1: Whereas I, I don't know. You know I guess Ramsdale you'd hope will be taken.
0: I uh, guess that's the thing. how many Arsenal players do you think are actually going to be starting at the World Cup? Well
1: not Ram probably not Ramsdale, not White, maybe Saliba, probably not Gabriel, Dinchenko, yes. Not Jesus. Mm, you never know. <laughs> not Party. Shaka will. Which is worrying because getting older and we need him. Or do I mean, I love Switzerland,
0: you. but I don't think they'll go that far, do you?
1: You never know. The Swiss always turn up at the tournaments. Martinelli would bench that. Actually, we might... The problem is we might... You might not, be all right. We might be all right, but they might be lingering around for a long time. All the Brazilians and the French, they might be in the squad. Mm. And therefore, like, is that a problem? Probably not. Because if they do well, it's almost better. You kind of want players who are in and about it, but not getting exhausted. So they're going to get a nice trophy and a medal and be hungry for it when they get back. Actually, we haven't exhausted them. Whereas Spurs, you know, Kane, and, Kane is a main man. He's going to have all the pressure on him. Humin Son for his country. They'll both, both go out early, though, I reckon. Say, well, you never know. never know. Did you say Larice, Romero? You know, these are big-name players to their country. So, actually, is that is that actually a, a double-edged sword? Where you're like, oh, great. But then again, as you say, the hangover, could it be a good hangover? So if you mm. come off, Richarlison comes off from scoring the winner in the World Cup final, God forbid, then, <laughs> you know, he'll be buzzing. he say, bring on Brentford, give me a hat-trick.
0: Yeah, and it could be, you know, we're looking at players like Haaland and, and teams having a rest, but that could actually be a bad thing. You know, it takes players and teams a while sometimes at the start of the season after pre-season to get back up to speed. Whereas those players who've kept on playing competitive football... Are still going to be match sharp and all those players who've had a rest I mean I'm sure they'll be you know behind closed doors friendlies and everything they do on the training ground but maybe having a break during that period isn't actually the best thing because then you've got to go straight back into these Premier League games and those players you've been at the World Cup playing in those big intense matches will actually maybe be more in the zone than than they will.
1: Yeah I mean Haaland. you saw what he did with the Community Shield or what he didn't do and it could be like that again so oh haven't played for a while need a couple of games and And those are the points that they might need to to, to really run away with it. It just made me think actually about Darwin Nunes and, you know, so much money and so much hope. And I know it's still early on, but, and he had a game, a few game ban, but he's really done nothing, hasn't he? It's been really quiet. And we were all after him. So it's kind of, I don't like, you know, that money to go to waste from a, from a numerical point of view, but really it's, uh, it's strange. And it kind of shows that it's not necessarily about money. I mean, Haaland cost what 50 million? Cost the same basically as uh probably less than Rajalison.
0: Yeah, well, I, I mean, I guess when you take into account the wages and the agent fees, the total outlay on Haaland is probably still hmm. probably dwarves most transfers. But I think because he had that release clause, didn't he, in his Dortmund contract, yeah. which made the outright transfer fee smaller. But yeah, no, you're right. And I mean, I mean, Nunes could yet still come good, but I think part of the reason potentially for Liverpool's uh struggles is you know losing a player like Sadio Mane and you know we were talking about hangovers they had a very long exhausting season last year where they got to the final of basically everything and their season ended on a very sour note they lost a key player and then actually there wasn't it it didn't feel like there was a massive turnaround I, I guess because the season had to start earlier because of the World Cup so you didn't have as long a break and it does feel like Liverpool were maybe carrying some of the disappointment from last season into this season and if uh, you know if they're potentially still carrying uh physical or kind of mental fatigue after that length of a break then with the World Cup when it's an even shorter turnaround and arguably an even bigger potential letdown because it's you know for your country then you could you know see that that ramifications in the second half of the season
1: yeah for sure and I wonder was there anyone that Spurs wanted a position in the summer that you didn't get whether you think they'll they'll kind of bearing in mind everything in the World Cup as well. They might they might try and plug a hole in January. Anything that's quite obvious. Uh,
0: well, I guess the one thing that was missing from a fan's point of view was, as I said earlier, the kind of Ericsson, Mad Madison type mm. player. We were linked to both of those players, and I think when, as I said, a, a frustration that some fans have had is that the midfield. Um, has a very kind of, you know, you, you have that midfield too, too with Hojberg and Bentancourt, who, to be fair, I mean, Bentoncourt scored and assisted against Leicester. Hojberg's got a couple of goals, like I said, but neither of them are really there to be creative. They're there to kind of shield the defence and help move the ball up from defence to attack and kind of cover a lot of ground and make tackles and interceptions. But they're not really there to kind of, you know, pick that through ball. But most of the creativity comes from the wing backs and, and Kane dropping deep and kind of the interplay between the front three or kind of moves that go all the way from back to front. Um, and I think that's where you'd probably look and go, maybe that kind of profile of player just to give us that kind of something bit different and to maybe play through in midfield a bit more often. Um, but it's whether or not kind of Conte wants that. I think that was a bit of a debate amongst fans in the summer. We're saying, oh, we need this type of player. We want this type of player. And people going, yeah, but Conte doesn't really have a space for that type of player in his team he he had Ericsson into Milan but he didn't play him a lot to start with he only integrated him quite late on and playing in quite a different way to how he did when he was at Tottenham so I guess it's a question of whether Conte wants that type of player if it fits the system but I think you'd say we signed that kind of proper alternative to Kane and, and attacking depth that we were looking for with Richarlison we signed New wing backs. We signed a, a player in defence. I mean, Longley is only on loan. You could always say, do we go back in for a, a Bastoni who uh, supposedly, you know, not getting on well with Inzaghi now into Milan? Do you try and actually fix that position for the long term? Because obviously, with Longley, it's a question of the end of the season: do you make the loan permanent or not? So, you know, do you go back in for that that other big centre back who maybe if a Romero is out, who you can then feel a bit more relaxed about? Do you still look at even even at fullback? I feel like there's still concerns. I mean, fans aren't convinced by Enough. Royale. Fans aren't convinced by Royale. Clearly, Conte is not that convinced by Spence yet, or doesn't think he's he's ready yet. And so there's a question of well, Doherty is is he back from his injury yet or not? What's the long term thing with him? It wouldn't surprise me if we were you know still stockpiling even more wingbacks.
1: But but you said Madison or that kind of vibe. And I just think about that team because you mentioned the mid- midfield pivot two. I presume you have two fullbacks, then two or three centre backs. So actually, you know, who of Kuliszewski, Son, and Kane are being replaced? If you already have Richarlison in the mix, how on earth do you fit another attacking player in that lineup?
0: Well, I guess you either have kind of you do like more of a, a, a three in the middle. So you'd have like a three-five-two, and you could have Madison almost as a number ten type. With, you know, Hoiberg and Bentecourt behind, you've got your wing and then you'd have like just Kane and Son up front and then you have Kuliseski and Richarlison to bring off the bench. Mm. Or you could even, I mean, there's been talk of and Kuliseski has been played a few times as a right as a right wing back, believe it or not. Yeah, another <laughs> uh, yes. fullback. And but, more. There is, but there is an uh, yeah, and more as well. Um, although I think this is probably more as last season. I think his contract might be up at the end of the year, and I, I'm pretty right. sure he's going back to Brazil. But All you could right. play Kulisevsky, right wing back, and then Madison behind Kane and Son, and then it's just Richarlison, or, you know, Kane and Richarlison, Richarlison and Son, whoever. So there's ways of doing it. But I think that is, you kind of hit the nail on the head as to why it maybe didn't happen over the summer, because it's not the preferred system. It would always leave someone out. And maybe if you are a Madison type, you're probably thinking, well, do I want to go to Spurs when I might not be guaranteed first team football? Or do I go to, say, for instance, in Newcastle, where sure, I won't have Champions League, but I could potentially be the face of, you know, a star man for a team who could be in the Champions League in, in a couple of years time. Um, so I think that, you know, that question you ask is maybe one of the reasons why it didn't happen, because potentially those type of players look at the way we play, look at the players we've already got and think, well, yeah, where do I fit into that? But I wonder for you and Arsenal in January, where do you, I mean, you kind of said already about some of the areas, you know, up front where you think you and in midfield where you worry about that strength and depth. Do you expect Arsenal to be busy in January? I mean, it feels like because of the World Cup, we might get a busier January window than perhaps you've ever had before.
1: Mm, you might get a few more loans as well because they might think, you know what, I need just
0: a temporary fix and maybe just for the, when things get
1: busy. There's, I think there's two things. There's what I would like to get done. And what will get done and I almost think actually it would be max one signing if anything I just think they're they're not trying to rush things they are trying to say this is what we want if we don't get it we're not getting anything it's not worth bringing bad eggs into the team but to be honest I think seeing if Matt Turner doesn't start performing better in the in the reserve games he might be gone quick or he might be Put on the periphery as kind of a token American, which is a terrible thing to say, but commercially it's very good to have players in the US. And I think he, he was, you know, he was doing well, but it was it was it was kind of a, a bit of an odd signing and, and out of the blue. Um, I think right back we've got the options. You know, we've centre back. I feel like we're really low at centre backs because if Zaliba or Gabriel gets injured, you've got Rob Holding, and that's it. You know, everyone can play different positions, but really Rob Holding won't be there for much longer. White, who knows how long he'll, you know, he he might be back as centre back, but then he becomes a reserve. One of them becomes a reserve centre back, and that's not a good position to have. I think centre mid, as I say, I think you need one at least, and one very good one. But in January, are you really going to go and sign? You know, there was that Douglas Louise rumour, which was ridiculous, because if you really wanted him, go and get him at the beginning of the window. So I don't really believe that was a panic move, and I don't think they should go back in for that. I think they need to really identify and say, again, like they waited for Jesus. Say, okay, who's available?
0: What's the budget? That's the max they're willing to spend. Bang bang. I
1: think. wonder
0: who that player will be when you know after the World Cup. There's always mm-hmm. a player who has a great World Cup and then goes for big money that summer. Huh. I wonder whether we'll see a similar thing happen in in January. There'll be this player who's this big breakout star in the World Cup. Goes for huge money and then we never hear from him again. Well, I'm sure Spurs will be right up for that. They'll have the inferiority complex. <laughs> oh, we need to sign someone. Um, well, maybe guess- Charleston will be that player. You know, already Real Madrid, Barcelona will be saying, "Right, he's just won the World Cup, Golden Boot. Here's 150 million, we'll take him."
1: Yeah, I'd take that in a heartbeat. I remember with our Shabin, we kind of had that, but we waited so long; it wasn't even the same player <laughs> by the time. It wasn't even that good. You know, he was good, but he wasn't the player, he wasn't the Euros. He even had a came with a different haircut. Um I remember with Nazari in Euro two thousand eight, he played really well, and we'd signed him just before. So in a way you're better off signing them just before. And that's where the summer summer comes in handy. I don't know. I think I think that it's going to be one signing, but it has to be quality. I don't want quantity, and I don't think we will sign quantity. I, I think we're going to get max one player. Uh, but I think it depends as well. It depends on form. It depends on injuries. And, um, you know, the fat Smith-Rowe, I mean, that does not sound good. If he's undergoing surgery for something groin related, he, you know, he's out till the new year at least and then by fitness and everything. I mean, that's, I don't like to say r- right him out for the season, but, you know, he's been struggling to get into the team anyway. and Maybe that's fitness related. It's very worrying and it's a real shame for us. But, you know, when you, when you have players like Saka who still, you know, he's like third on the assist list, but it's not the same as he was. He looked great for England, but he's not quite the big impact for Arsenal as, as he once was, in my opinion, when you're watching on the eye test. So, so it's worrying. But I think all these things, you know, it, it all depends on the moment in time. It should be planning, but actually it's it, it's bigger than that. And that's why I suppose I wouldn't want to be a manager. I'm not sure. Uh, not sure about you. Would you like to be a manager? Nice Spurs manager job for you?
0: No, only on only on FIFA, a football manager, but not in not in real life.
1: There are, there are alternative uh, video games, aren't there, out there. Altern-
0: Alternative video games are available.
1: And there won't be a FIFA coming this time next year. So uh, no. maybe Spurs will win a trophy the year that, um, that the last FIFA came out. I mean, that would be uh, more typical. They won't. And then it will be, uh, have Spurs ever won a trophy during the FIFA days?
0: Well, FIFA, what would it have been? We won the... the, the uh... Curling uh-huh. Cup, as it was known then, in two thousand and eight. FIFA nine. So, or would that have been when f- it probably would have been when FIFA eight was still out. It was was
1: too- it- oh yeah, yeah. Because it comes out the year before, and you won it. If,
0: if you told me back when we were playing FIFA eight that it, it would be FIFA twenty three, and we w- ha- wouldn't have won a trophy since then. Um, I would
1: believe. I would have believed you.
0: That, that puts things into perspective. Do we dare give predictions for Saturday? Score. Two one Arsenal. <sighs> um. I dared. I. I dared he, to do. He dared. Jason dared to do. <laughs> the Arsenal fan dares to do. I can be
1: gunning for for glory.
0: <laughs> um. I'm going to go for a draw. One one.
1: Ah, goal scorers,
0: H- please. Jesus and Kane. Ah,
1: I'll go for Jesus and Kane. But winner, none other than Eddie Finquetia off the bench.
0: Oh, wouldn't you love it? Full.
1: 93rd minute, knee slides into the Spurs crowd. Conte's wig falls off. Oh, the dream.
0: Well, that's Alleg- that's, Alleg- that's giving me nightmares. Alleg- um. Well, I think on that bombshell, on that prophecy, we should uh, leave it at that and um, see where we are after the North London derby. It will be an interesting episode, I'm sure, whatever happens.
1: And it'll be live. Well, it probably won't, but we can we can pretend it's live.